Turn with me to John, uh, not John, Psalm chapter 46. I've been in John so much that it's almost pre-programmed, but that's not such a bad thing. Uh, Psalm chapter 46, just 11 verses. And then uh, I won't be in the book of Psalms until September because next week we have, uh, Taylor will be doing the uh, children's ministry curriculum. As many people that are involved in children's ministry, we want you in here. I'll be doing a discipleship interactive out in the fellowship hall. We'll just put chairs in a circle. We're going to we're gonna have to be a little flexible. Uh, our, our property has some limitations because we have the child's children's classes going on and uh, teen stuff. So uh, that's next Wednesday. And then after that, we have VBS. And then after that, um, uh, we have prayer. And then uh, we'll have another gentleman sharing because I'm out of town for just a couple of weeks in the month of August. And then we take the last two Wednesdays of August off. We do that every year to give servants a rest. People get acclimated to school and college and all that. You know, parents that have to take drop their kids off and go all that stuff straightened out. And we pick back up the first Wednesday in September. So... Uh, so tonight, Psalms 46, and Psalm 46, and then we're going to be uh, a little bit of a hiatus until September, at least in the Psalms anyway, not some of the other stuff. But starting verse 1, if your Bibles are open, Psalm chapter 46, um, some of your Bibles may have a title at the top where it says, God, the refuge of his people and conquer of the nations to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, song for Alamoth. Some of you might have that or you might have less, but let's start with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be moved, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Behold, or come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this time, this midweek respite, this time to rest together in your word. We thank you already for the time of worship, to lift our voices to you, to sing to you. Lord, we come to you tonight, Lord, just to hear from you, to be refreshed by you. Just the rains, just the rains outside are refreshing the earth and the ground and the trees and the grass and the flowers that you would refresh us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would minister. I pray for your help, your strength, your anointing, Lord. Remove me once again from the equation that each and every person, myself included, would hear from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We live in a world that I'm 
sure you guys know, is in turmoil, in turbulence, and in deterioration on two fronts. The first being the physical earth itself, which is incredibly resilient, by the way. Don't you think our physical earth is really resilient? All the stuff it's gone through and things we put it through. Uh, but with God's design, it's seasons, which we get here in Virginia. You don't get seasons everywhere, but we get them here. The solar and lunar cycles, just to name a few. The regrowth of things that uh, kind of grow back. And it has enough, this earth has enough resiliency and enough resources, despite what you hear on the news, uh, has enough resources and resiliency for many, many more years, and actually billions more people. You say, is that true? Yes. It can support a lot more than the people that are using fear to control the masses. It, there's a lot more resources. There's a lot more resiliency. Nonetheless, it is a fact, even though there is all these resources, even though there is the capacity for all, that we, uh, you know, we could go a couple hundred more years or maybe way longer. It's a fact that the oceans still become saltier every year. It's a fact that some animals and plants become extinct, never to return, at least until perhaps the millennium reign of Christ. And some natural resources aren't replaceable. To use a scientific word, the world is in a state of entropy which means disorder and gradual decline. The second front of deterioration and turmoil on earth is the one with eternal consequences, the human world. It's rather evident that the world system, its mode of operation, and the souls of mankind generally don't become more desiring of God and his authority and his lordship. Have you noticed that? Uh -huh. Generally speaking, souls don't say, yeah, that's all the whole seven point whatever billion people, let's all worship God. That's why we pray for revival. That's why we need revival. God has to send it, just like he did in Nineveh, for example. But that rejection descends into a repeating downward spiral and cycle of some people dominating other people. Hatred, violence, terrorism, oppression, racism, slavery, sexual exploitation, growing yet preventable sexual diseases, greed, extortion, poverty, abuse, divorce, drug manufacturing, drug trafficking, drug use, and then the death of thousands and even millions of people by human-caused factors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So many of these things are preventable. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Most of the list is completely preventable. But there's also some satanic influence, right? Mm -hmm. Pushing all of this. Remember, Jesus called him the ruler of this world. And all this is due to the corruption of sin and the resistance to God, which is idolatry. Romans chapter 1 lays out this downward spiral. You guys have probably read Romans 1 before. It lays out this downward spiral that societies go through, and in fact the world is going through. This downward spiral of the world's conditions 
in both the physical makeup of the earth itself and the spiritual darkness that grows more rebellious over time, just like it did leading up to the Noahic flood. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, you guys know the passage, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. It'll build to the same crescendo. Not a good crescendo. When mankind at that first great judgment was imploding and the fountains of the deep and the atmosphere above were about to explode, they didn't know it was coming. So Paul makes the salient point in Romans chapter 1 that the deteriorating condition, which was from the beginning, would continue until God intervened once and for all. And we look forward to that. And those that know Christ would long for, some of the older you get, you probably start to long for Jesus to come back. Long for the rapture. In Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, For we know that the whole creation, that's the physical world, groans and labors with birth pangs until now. The earth is already wobbling. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We talked about the Helper on Sunday. Even we ourselves groan in ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body, our body and the body of Christ. So that's the macro, that's the macro backdrop of the world we live in. And it underscores why the psalmist here in Psalm 46 is looking up to God, singing, because this is a song, singing to God who sits above this unraveling world. And here we have these 11 verses of worship and reminder to find the Lord and to rest in Him and to find in Him the calm and the courage. Do you want calm or do you want courage? We want them both, right? The calm and the courage needed in this chaotic and very callous world. If you're taking notes, you see the title tonight. The Refuge of God in a Turbulent World. Now we have the macro backdrop that I just kind of painted. The macro backdrop of the entire planet. Of the one who believes in the Lord. Anyone could kind of look at this psalm and say, Hey, I believe in the Lord. Does this apply to me against the... Yes, it applies to you in the backdrop of still living in this, uh, this world that is unraveling. But the central picture is actually of the buffeting of the nation of Israel. This is well before the church was established. The church is in view in the Old Testament only because we now know where it's revealed because of the New Testament. It wouldn't be in view if God, you know, Jesus said, I build my church. It's a mystery that's been revealed. But the, new, the church is in view in the Old Testament. But this psalm is written with Israel as the centerpiece of it is the, it's the group of people being buffeted by the nations. And what we've seen historically... If you've been around any time and you've read history, there's been a few short periods, and obviously biblical history 
uh, plays a big role in this, but a few short periods of peace, a few short periods of rest for Israel as a nation, but there's been a lot of buffeting of Israel that will continue all the way to the rise of the Antichrist when there will be an all-out assault on the Jewish nation during that time. That's why it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's at that, it's the same world, even though you go back to the time of the Psalms written, that you know, they had their enemies then, but the same world that has its own backdrop of chaos and sin and depravity and destruction, the same world that has rejected God with a deep animosity, has also rejected the nation he created. Does that make sense? Just as the world has rejected God, it has also rejected the nation that he created and called his chosen people, descending from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This whole scene is going to play out to the very end, isn't it? It's not gone away. We're in the book of Revelation tomorrow night. Israel plays a prominent role in it. That's why it's that 49th week, right? Take a look. One more point before we look at verse 1. As I mentioned, we do have the New Testament church in view. We have some New Testament reflection here. In those that surrender to Christ, uh, those of us who have come through the Lion of the tribe of Judah, I wasn't born Jewish, but I have a Jewish Savior. How about you? He's not only a Jewish Savior. He's many other things. We'll see with some, some of his titles again. But you can't separate that either. Because he came as all man and all God. And the all man part of him, he came to the nation of Israel through the tribe of Judah. And so those of us who have surrendered, we have come to Christ through the line of the tribe of Judah. We came through the Lamb of God, but he is also our Lion. And uh, just as Israel was despised for being attached to the true and living God, we're despised for being attached to Jesus. It was Emmanuel, God with us. And in like manner, Israel was despised for being God's chosen nation. So we kind of see some parallels between the New Testament church and Israel. The Antichrist is going to go full bore against both in the tribulation period. And just just as Israel was to look to God, Israel as the nation was to look to God, sometimes... Too often they weren't looking to God, they were looking to idols. But they were to look to God, they were to lean on God, they were to trust in God through faith in Him and not themselves. Guess what? So are we. We're called to do the same thing. So we can look at Psalms and we can study it from a New Testament perspective and not lose the original context at the same time. Look at back at verse 1 with me. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Any sentence that starts with God is, we'll want to pay close attention. Amen? Amen. Any, any sentence that God is, you're going to want to know what comes next. Now again, the psalmist is writing to Israel, but these words have direct application to any believer of any time period, not just in the ancient times that it was written. God is our, where it says God is our, you can circle our, or you can circle a you know, just in your mind circle it, or literally circle it with your pen or pencil. Does anyone use a pencil anymore? But anyway, some kind of writing device. God is our 
for those that belong to God. He's our because we are his. Israel did belong to God. Israel as a nation belonged to God. Still belongs to God. Even when they wandered off, they still belong to God. They've always belonged to God. They were and are his chosen nation to be a light, a priesthood. But as a nation, they had to choose God back. We've been talking about this in the book of John. Israel had to choose God back. Did they always choose him back? No. Many times they chose the gods of the Canaanites and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians. And if we've chosen him, we being us here in the New Testament church in the age of grace, if we've chosen him through repentance, these words are our words too. We can say right now in 2022, God is our refuge. Even though the psalm was written for Israel to Israel, it moves forward and has a New Testament church application for us without losing. This is the thing about the Bible. This is why replacement theologists the New Testament now now everything from Israel is gone. No, no, no. You you clearly haven't read the end of the story. Because all this comes back. I'm in the book of Ezekiel and I mean, good night. It's all coming back. Even the animal sacrifices and all that in the thousand year reign of Christ. Which by the way there's, this is speaking to that period as well. This speaks to a couple different periods all simultaneously. But God is our, all of us that know the Lord, those of you online, those of you that hear, God is our strength. He is our misgob, which is a, a Hebrew word for defense or high tower or retreat. God is our defense. He's our high tower. He is our retreat. I don't have the best Hebrew in the world, but you get the idea. He alone is our place of safety and our source of strength. You don't need, you know, when God is your refuge, isn't this great to know? If God is your refuge, you don't need money. You don't need a position of power. You don't need connections. I know people. None of that matters if God is your refuge. If you are your refuge or other people, then all that stuff matters to you. All you need, if God is your refuge, is salvation, faith, and a prayer life. (laughs) Salvation, faith, and a prayer life. If God is your refuge. That's all you need. You don't have to buy anything. There's God says, Well, I don't your money is just paper, it's just trees to me. Uh Well, it's Bitcoin. Well then that's just numbers. What you do need though is humility. Amen? Amen. You gotta have humility. It's how we come to Christ in the first place. And we've been talking on Sundays in John about the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of God, being our helper. What does it say here? A very present help. Help, helper, Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is God, our refuge. We've been talking about this on Sundays. But, but the Lord has always been a present help to his flock. Israel was his flock here. But those who believed in God became part of his flock. Even then, Gentiles could come to God. Many did as well. And those that trust in him look up to him and they receive supernatural help in the spirit realm. What do I mean by that? What I mean that we, we what I mean that we receive supernatural help in the spirit realm. Well, look at verse two. Therefore, we will not fear. Fear is a feeling. It's 
not a physical property. It's not something you buy. Nobody would buy it <laughs> if it was selling. Nobody would spend money for this. Like, we, we get this nonsense for free, right? Though, uh, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be moved or be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now, fear can't be seen, but neither can faith. Faith cannot be seen. It's not a physical property either. Like, like this wood pulpit I can touch. I can't show you a tangible faith. It's this dimension. It's about yay big. Fear either. But here in verse 2, because we received God's refuge and God's strength and God's help, where? Not in our bank account, in our spirit. Amen. Right? Amen. Amen. You know, like once you receive it, go check online and say, where did that go? It's in our spirit. Our health may still be the same when we get God's help in our spirit. Our bank account may be the same. Our situations may be the same. The economy definitely is the same. Actually, uh, inflation just went up to 9%, so it's actually going the wrong direction. Washington may be the same. It's been the same for years. Our trials may be the same. Our health situation, whatever it may be. But all of a sudden... All of a sudden, what the psalmist is saying here, with God's help, because he's our refuge, because he's a very present help, therefore, every time you see a therefore, you need to say, why is it therefore? Right? Therefore, we can become less afraid even as we mature in faith. And at times, we can even become because it's not, on a, it's not on a trend line that goes on a perfect line. Your, your growth in Christ goes like this. <laughs> so you wish it went straight line. Uh, because if it did, you would say, man, from every single service and every study, I just... <laughs> but it doesn't go that way. But nevertheless, it's moving in the right direction if you're uh, abiding in Christ. We'll be talking about this in John 15. Uh, we can become less afraid. I didn't say fearless immediately. At times fearless, in the face of uncertainty, and what looks like the walls of calamity closing in on us, and the psalmist takes it even further. He said, in our God-supplied, in our God-invited, and in our God-given refuge in himself, because he is the refuge here, not stuff, not things, he's the refuge in himself, we could, and we can, and we should, Come to the place that even if the entire earth starts to shake, and someday it will. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll be here when that happens. I, I, when I, I study the Bible, I think I could be here when some of the earth shakes. I've been in an earthquake in Guatemala. I've been in one here in the United States. And both times I was like, you know, come discombobulated real quick. But someday the whole earth, earth will shake. But even if all that happened, even if the mountains started crashing into the sea, that'll someday happen as well. But even if the mountains or the seemingly solid things that are in our personal life that we are holding on to, and I'm not saying that we're clinging to them as our, you know, kind of end all, but we kind of we kind of believe that our bank is secure. We kind of believe the house won't burn down. We kind of believe that we will make it from A to B or C or whatever. But even if everything crumbled, that's what he's saying. If all that happened, we would not fear. So getting to that is, is a maturing. 
Because I'm not there yet. All y'all might be. I, maybe you are. I don't, think, I don't think everybody is there yet. But the Holy Spirit wants to take us there. Look at verse 3. Though its waters roar and be troubled, the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. Even if everything around us was roaring and troubled, and life itself was a tempest, which sometimes it is. I've seen some of the trials some of you guys have gone through. Some of the ones I've gone through. Some, some of them I haven't seen, and you haven't seen in me. But we know enough of our own situation, other people's, that even if things were all a tempest, even uh, if we were tossed into drowning waters, kind of like Jonah was, the impenetrable, the impenetrable refuge of God can vastly and quickly and even completely reduce our fear and anxiousness and our troubled spirits by what? His presence. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's his presence. That's why we're so glad Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. He goes, my peace I leave. We just read this past Sunday, right? My peace I leave you. Leave with you, not as the world gives, because the world can't give it. It promises a lot of things it can't deliver, doesn't it? Just download Call Map. Number one doctor rated. And I hear people, I used it for a month and then psh, didn't work after that. And to this encouraging truth, we have the first of three Selahs. You see it ending in verse three Selah. This is the first of three times in this. Uh, chapter of these 11 verses. Each follows the declaration. Each time it's, uh, the Selah is used in these 11 verses, each time it follows one of uh, the declarations that God is our, not those that don't belong to him or those that don't trust him, but God is our refuge. Three reminders of refuge, three Selahs of pausing you can kind of see that Selah is after a period and it's over, unless your Bible is over by itself even. You guys have it that way? Where it's in your Bible like it's way over there by, all by itself. There's a big gap from the sentence. It's written that way for a reason. As I mentioned, the pause and reflect. Selah is found 71 times in the book of Psalms. The only other book of the Bible where it's mentioned at all is in the book of Habakkuk three different times in Habakkuk, but 71 times in the Psalms, nowhere else in the Bible do we ever see the word Selah. We've talked about this special and sacred word before. There's no doubt it's a sacred word. No doubt it's a special word. Nobody knows for certain what the word means. We don't know why God sometimes does things like this. Why he'll put it, and there's not a definitive answer. But the context tells us a lot about the general meaning, if not the precise meaning, uh, the context where we see it is largely because wherever there's a context, there's a pause and a stop there. So it's believed to mean to pause and to extol and worship God. To kind of stop, it'd be like you could, you could, you could say la uh, in the middle of a message, in the middle of a prayer, in the middle of your study, just stop and extol God. You can even do it while driving down the road. As long as you keep your eyes open. That kind of stuff. So to extol the name of God is always right after saying in this psalm, he's our refuge. Stop, ponder it, think about it, 
extol and worship him. Kind of putting it all in one bow there. The psalmist turns his attention next in verse 4. He turns his attention to the city of Jerusalem. It's not named Jerusalem, but we know it is Jerusalem um, by certain criteria. Uh, But we can also see beyond the physical Jerusalem, even though the physical Jerusalem is the primary meaning, but not the only meaning. Verse 4, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. The context of Israel and the continuous threats and intimidation of the nations that were all around Israel and all the threats that came against Jerusalem, the many times Jerusalem was under assault and attack, uh, is interesting because the context is Jerusalem, but it says there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. The city of God is one of the names of Jerusalem. You can call it the city of David, the city of Zion, right? Ariel. These are just some of the names of Jerusalem, but this is one of the names. It's like New York City is also called Gotham City. You know, if someone says that, you know it means New York City. If someone says the Big Apple, you know it means New York City. Even though New York City is its proper name, it has other names. And of course, in the case of Jerusalem, all the names are proper names. <laughs> There's no, none of them are slang. That's the point. We have slang words for cities. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, you understand those things. Or they're not always slang. Sometimes they're just nicknames. Vegas is not a good one. Sin City, that's a really, that's a really bad second name for any. You, you don't really want to call, uh, let's call ourselves Crime City. You know, what it, might as well just go for everything, you know. But anyway, that wasn't in my notes or anything. That was just extra bonus material there. But um, knowing that it is about Jerusalem, Jerusalem actually lacks a river. But it says, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. Jerusalem doesn't have a river currently. It lacks a river. It reveals that God, the very one that set Israel in the land and actually gave the city to King David, why it's still called the city of David to this day, God is himself the river for Jerusalem. Cincinnati has a river. Pittsburgh has a river. St. Louis has a river. Richmond, we have the mighty James. But Jerusalem doesn't have a river running through it. The Jordan is to the east. Nowhere near the city, at least in the city limits or anything like that. But it reveals here that that God himself is the river. He's the one that sustains Jerusalem, also known as the city of God. He's the one that streams make glad the city. What a contrast between the world's threatening and destructive waters and the previous verses Previous verses, it talks about, you know, uh, the, the roaring of the ocean and, and things sinking and mountains being cast. And see, what a contrast between the world's threatening and destructive waters versus the waters of God that make a city glad, a people glad, souls glad. To be glad means to be refreshed, to be nourished by God. And we see a correlation between the paradise lost to sin and the heaven to come by the Savior. And I have it up on the screen, Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. The original paradise, before there was sin, it says, Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. 
Then we fast, you got the bookends of the Bible, Genesis, Revelation, those are the bookends, beginning and end, Alpha and Omega. Revelation 22, 1 and 2, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street, and on one side of the river was the tree of life. So you have the river in the garden, the river in the kingdom to come, the heaven that we will spend eternity in. Both rivers are given by God. And like Jerusalem, think about ourselves, uh, our natural flesh, and we're born in sin, then we get saved by the grace of God, by salvation. We don't naturally have a river in us. But God gives rivers of living water through the Helper, through the Holy Spirit. Out of us would proceed rivers of living water because God puts a river in us through the Holy Spirit. And one other th- interesting thing about Jerusalem, I said it doesn't have a river yet. Did you know someday Jerusalem will have a river? I'm glad you asked. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8, Ezekiel 47, 1 and 5. And in that day, um, and in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the sea, half of them toward the western sea. They'll flow, the river will go in, a very unique river, it'll go in both directions. It'll flow east and west. A river that I can think of is like that. Rivers flow in one direction. This will flow in two directions, but the same river. And there in uh, Ezekiel 47, then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, and it was a river that I could not cross. It specifically says it's a river. So when the Mount of Olives is split in two, the river is going to run to the Mediterranean and over to the Dead Sea, and it's going to refresh the Dead Sea. It won't be so dead after that, you know, so... Uh, Frisch will come back, all that good stuff. That's all the millennium reign of Christ, the thousand year reign. Um, the rest of verse 4 here, look at the rest of verse 4. Uh, the most holy place, the tabernacle of the Most High. Now we understand too that the streams of God, the city of God, we certainly see a picture here of not just Jerusalem, but the city of God in heaven. And that river that's there, but not just the river. We see the tabernacle too. There, obviously, you have the tabernacle, which later becomes the temple in Jerusalem. That, and then, this, of course, the temple is going to be rebuilt. There's not a temple there now, not even a tabernacle there now. Uh, but all that will be rebuilt. And um, but it's the presence of God, the holy place of the Most God, High God. What good is a temple? without God in it, without the presence of God in it. Verse 5, it says in verse 5, God is in the midst of her, her being the city of Jerusalem. She shall not be moved, and God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Now, often, and it's not just alluding to only Jerusalem, Some this also can pull in the whole nation of Israel as well. So Jerusalem being the capital, when it says, you know, Paris is communicating with Washington. Those two cities are communicating, but it is the nation of France communicating with the United States, whatever Washington says. So you also have not just Jerusalem, but Israel. The nation is included here, though Jerusalem is the 
the center of the text, if you will. So you have um, you know, Jerusalem, God in the midst of Jerusalem, the city of Zion. And if God is there, good news, nothing can be moved. If God is there, the city can't be moved, the mountains can't be moved, the people of God can't be moved. In Psalm 125, verse 1, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Mount Zion is the temple mount there. Even though the Mount of Olives is going to split in two, there's, no, there's nothing that says ever that the temple mount splits in two. That table rock that it, that's there where the Dome of the Rock sits today and someday the temple will be rebuilt, that table rock that's flat like a table right there, that Mount Zion stays. <laughs> a lot of things will go down around it, but it will hold true. It abides forever. So many times God delivered Jerusalem and Israel just before it says uh, dawn here. God, in verse 5, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, the city, just in the nation, just at the break of dawn. And God's done that many times in Israel's, uh, think of Gideon, and, and many times in Israel, just at the break of dawn, uh, when it looked like they would be overthrown, the tide turned, and God's the one that turned the tide. And at the break of dawn, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? Amen? At the break of dawn, Jesus rose from the dead. And he turned back the penalty of sin and death by doing it just at the break of dawn. And another dawn is coming for those that belong to God the Father. If you belong to God, he's going to deliver us just at the break of dawn. William MacDonald said, It has been a long, dark night for God's people, but soon the morning will dawn and Christ will take his rightful place, showing himself strong on behalf of his own. These words should comfort your spirit. Look at verse 6. Uh, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he utters his voice, and the earth melted. Now this happened in part with the judgment of the flood. Uh, has happened in pockets of time where portions of the earth have been destroyed. But it will happen again with the nations raging against God like the world has never seen before in the tribulation period. Raging against Israel, raging, raging against the saints, especially those that eventually won't take the mark of the beast. Culminating in a cataclysmic string of judgments from God seals and the bowls and the vials and uh, all of these things that will be poured out on the earth and the earth will melt with fire. Peter even says it's reserved for fire. Hey, global warming's coming, folks, just so everyone understands that. Uh, your recycling is not going to stop it. Your carbon credits aren't going to stop it. So, I'm not saying, I mean, I, I love to recycle. My wife's like, why do you worry? Because I just do. <laughs> I know it has no impact on 100 years or 1,000 years from now, and I still do it because I feel like I'm called to be a good steward of things. But I'm not under any illusions. I know that one volcanic explosion could do more to the atmosphere than all the cars on planet Earth. And will happen. And, and a thousand times worse than that. We're talking like 
some of these volcanic eruptions like megatons of nuclear bombs going off that's coming. So yes, global warming is definitely coming and no G7 meeting is going to stop it. Or G10 or whatever they come up with, the kings of the earth give their power. So there's very prophetic language here. Do you see it? This is very prophetic language where it says the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. It's going to be the sword of the mouth of Jesus. He will, his sword will come out. He'll slay the nations with what? His word. He'll utter over. I don't know what he's going to utter. It'll be over. Like that. That's verse 6. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So the second here, a pause again to remember and reflect that the Lord of hosts, and when it says Lord of hosts, it's the first time that's used in this uh, chapter anyway. Host means army. So it's the Lord of armies. And God has a massive angelic army, doesn't he? Probably billions of angels. Only one is needed to usually smite everybody else. So it's not like he needs all of these. They could number the same as the stars of the universe. We have no idea, but God has a vast host, armies. They can easily defeat the raging armies of the world and all the demonic horde of Satan, the fallen angels and demons. And it's an encouragement to Israel and to us that the God of Jacob which is Israel's you know, birth name. He was born Jacob. Then later God changes his name to what? Israel. But he was born Jacob. And it's interesting to use his original name here, the God of Jacob, instead of the God of Israel. Many times this is the God of Israel too, but some, at times it'll say the God of Jacob. And Jacob meant cheat or deceiver, which is not the most flattering name to be given. He grabbed his brother Esau's heel and supplanter, and he pulled himself around. Good wrestling move, but ne you know, nevertheless, um, you know, it means deceiver or cheat. But taken together, when you see where it says, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, we actually see redemption and God's sovereignty altogether. In other words, uh, it, it tells us that the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies is also the Lord of redeemed sinners. Because okay. Jacob was redeemed and his name was changed. But God said, don't forget, I called you when you were a sinner. While we were yet dead in our trespasses of sin, God loved us. Died, sent his son to die for us. Enough to send his son. Verses 8 and 9, just bringing the uh, last few minutes here. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. It is a clear picture here of the very end of the tribulation, the seven-year judgment poured out on the earth, a, a picture of the end of that seven-year period when the nations are defeated. Yes, they raged. Yes, they came. The planet is in ruins, will be in ruins by the judgment of God. But yet Israel will be defended. Israel will be defended. 
all the saints will be gathered. Everyone who is saved, all the sheep will be gathered. They're going to court the goats. They're in their own place. But all the saints will be gathered. And Christ will be exalted. Amen? And all of that, right now, all the kings of the earth, they exalt themselves, and it's going to get worse. They're going to exalt themselves even more. But notice what it says. It says, come behold. Just like we saw help, and we think in the New Testament, helper. It says, come behold. Revelation 19, verse 11. And if you want to read in your Bible, you can read all the way 11 through verse 16, because 11 through 16 uh, all describe Jesus coming in glory. And, and it's quite a description. One verse doesn't do it. You need all of them, but I didn't put them all up there. Uh, now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Remember the name Lord of hosts means Lord of what? Lord of armies. Lord of armies Jesus is the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the one coming. He'll, he'll wage war against the entire world and the Antichrist and the false prophet, everyone else that has rejected him. But the aftermath that we see here, it's a good aftermath, uh, verse 8 and 9, he makes the wars to cease. What the United Nations could never pull off, what NATO is doing a really bad job of right now, Russia is obviously doing their thing to... Uh, destabilize the world. But what all the peace treaties no one else could ever do, he makes the wars cease and he breaks the bows, all the weapons. The aftermath is the dismantling of the world's war machines. All the swords are beaten into plowshares that we see in Micah chapter 4 verse 3. The king, who's also the king of kings, who's also the prince of peace, he because he's the Prince of Peace and he's the only one that can actually bring peace, everybody else fails at this, can bring a pseudo-peace, but because he's the Prince of Peace, he owns peace, he owns it lock, stock, and barrel, he will end all the wars and he will usher in peace and healing and all the, everything will grow back like it did after the Great Flood, right? Where, where all of a sudden, finally the little dove has a little olive branch, which we even today... Even the world, you love how they take our rainbow and they take the they take the dove or the olive branch, all these things that they. I'm like, do you realize that all this in the Bible? Well, obviously they vastly distorted the whole rainbow thing. I'm like, well, every time you put that, that means judgment. So you might not want to use uh, that a reminder that uh, he would never judge it again by water, but he is going to judge it again by fire. Mm -hmm. But for you and I, it's like we're 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 out of the judgment altogether. Amen. Right. So we can see it as a beautiful thing. But at any rate, um, Jesus is going to be ushered in the peace. And, and to all of God's, um, he says, he'll break the bow and cut it in two. He'll burn the chariots in fire. And to all of God's past deliverances and refuge that Israel found in the Lord, and all of the refuge that individual saints have found in the Lord, and all the refuge the church has found in the last 2,000 years and is finding right now in the Lord, uh, we have this future guarantee that he will fulfill his word. He will fulfill it. And we have um, this beautiful verse in verse 10. 
And through verse 10, and after verse 10, we have verse 11 where you'll find this last reminder and the chorus, if you will, of the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Look at verse 10 and 11 together. Be still, this beautiful verse 10 here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the Not maybe, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's a definite, it's a double definite there. Two I wills. One be still, two I wills. Our role, be still. His role, he will. In the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So we have an, verse 10 is interesting. It's an insert from God into this song. And you may have read this before and not noticed, but uh, this is the only verse in these 11 verses that's God speaking. It's not red letter because it's not the New Testament appearing of Jesus. But all the other 10 verses is the psalmist writing. It's actually God who <laughs> reached down, told the son, put your pen down for a second. I'm speaking verse 10. Pick your pen back up and write verse 11. Isn't that cool? Isn't it writing a song to God? And God likes the song so much that he says, the 10th verse is mine. Pen down, and then I'll let you finish the 11th verse. While you're talking about things that you're getting 100% right, because the Holy Spirit obviously breathed all the other 10 verses as well. But we have this insert from God right into the song, because it is a song. So God speaks into the song. And um, right now, here in 2022... Middle of July, because only God is in the past, only God is in the future, and only God is in the present. Uh, it says to us right now, as it said then, as it's always said since it's been written, be still. In the in Hebrew, it's rafa. Rafa, be still, it means to relax, to be quiet, to let go. And to let drop. Do you get the picture? God's like, stop and let go. Cast all your cares upon me. Stop trying to hold the weight of the world. Be still and know I have the world in my hands. I know we know this intellectually, but we need the Holy Spirit to bring us into the throne room of God to get it at the spirit level. Not the intellectual level. That doesn't... You can quote verses and have no peace whatsoever. But then they can get deep in your soul. And you're like, hold on, I don't know. And I, and I spent some time, uh, I don't know, I, a couple times a day I got worked up over my to-do list and went and got back on my knees again and was repraying this. And it really helps. You know, just hand the list back to the Lord. Hand it back to God. I love those words. Relax. Be quiet. Parents, you can use this. Let go. Drop. Not the dishes, but, you know, other things. God speaking to us. Let go of these burdens. He stills our hearts and he stills our minds when we are still. He's the one that's speaking into this tenth verse. He's the one that says, hey, I, I want to speak into right here. Everyone be still and know that I'm God. I'm going to be exalted. And to know, the word know, if you want to know what that one means, here it means consider perceive and declare. It's an interesting combination. Consider, perceive, and declare. Who are you declaring it? Right back to the Lord. Say, I know you're in control. I've considered it. I've perceived it. 
and I know I have no control, and I know you have total control, and I'm declaring it right back. You're in total control. Mm. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. Same author. Two halves of the same loaf of bread. The whole scripture that he is God. Stop focus on us and focus our attention upward on him. Um, and then in ver- finally in verse 11 here. Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Uh, we will we, receive that inward peace from the helper when we know that, that God is exalted. When we know that the someday the nations will, will move from ignoring God to adoring God. From rebellious to removed from resisting to repenting, and all that flows into verse 11 because we say, well, we know that God is going to be exalted. We know that he's going to turn the tide in the whole world. We know he's in control. If he can turn the world, he can turn my stuff too. And then we have this closing chorus, which is the exact same as verse 7. You can look at verse 7, verse 11 are the exact same. Word for word, exactly the same. Sometimes you'll see verses that are similar, but these two are exactly the same. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, exactly as it says in verse 7. So again... Uh, this is the third reminder, and then it says Selah. So the third, re- third reminder of refuge, third Selah. And I love this quote from Jerry Rankin. Uh, as I bring it to a close, he says, our need, to, our need is to know him, to quit trying to solve our problems ourselves, and to rest in him. He will make the internal wars, and we have the outside wars, we understand, but we don't live those every day. We don't live World War II or World War III every day, but we live our own internal wars constantly. And he says, he'll make the internal wars and conflicts cease. So there's the be still knower. That was God putting in there for the current, everyday. Remember the whole theme of Psalms is living life in the real world. That's the whole understanding of all these psalms are written for people that are living in the dust and daily grind of this earth and all the things, and they unsettle us. So all of that to say, be still, look up, rest in Him. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you again for this time in your word. Uh, Father, we're so thankful that you, you speak directly into this song in verse 10. But Lord, all of the passage, all 11 verses underscore that you're our refuge in an unraveling, turbulent world. Uh, But Lord, you have promised that we can actually have fear dissipate, even become fearless and strengthened by your peace and your presence when we relax in your presence, when we let go of the burdens and put them at your feet, when we Lord, truly fix our eyes upon you, the author and finisher of our faith, our our refuge, our high tower, our retreat. And so, Lord, we pray that you would remind us of these things because we've been given the helper that can remind us of these things, and we're going to need them this week, in the weeks to come, and the months to come. But, Lord, we pray that we would grow in this to the point where we truly can say we are seeing less fear, and more faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good rest of the night.